Luke chapter 13, uh, and we'll pick up where James Rosenquist left off last week uh, as he preached about repent uh, or perish. Um, today we're going to talk about the hunchback woman, um, or you may know her as the, the bent over woman, or the crippled woman, or the disabled woman. We're going to be talking about her in Luke chapter 13, verse 10, which is where we will be reading. And so I normally have slides, I uh, do not have them today, um, but that will be okay, I think, because who needs them, really? Uh, Luke 13, verse 10, we'll pick up reading here. And the title of my lesson this morning is A New Birth of Freedom. So in Luke 13, 10, it says, On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and she praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Then he said this, and all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things that he was doing. And so Jesus here... Uh, doesn't seem like a really remarkable story, perhaps. It's not a well-known story, um, but it is indeed a powerful one. You know, as Jesus goes into the synagogue here to teach, he sees a woman for 18 years who was hunchbacked. She, she cannot straighten herself. Jesus heals her, and then the, the synagogue ruler has something to say about that. This text is doing something powerful, and you'll see it if you look back. Now look with me back. In verse 12, what does Jesus say to the woman? He says, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Some versions say you are set free from your disabling spirit or your disability. Notice that word free there. It's an interesting word. You are set free. And then the synagogue ruler uh, in verse uh, 16, or sorry, 14, says, if you want to come and be healed, Don't be healed on the Sabbath. Be healed on one of the other six days. Of course, it was against Mosaic law, against Jewish law to heal or to do any kind of work on the the Sabbath. In fact, when Jenny and I were in Israel, um, when we stayed at a hotel, we would have a pretty good breakfast spread at the hotel, except on Saturdays. On Saturdays, there were no omelets because making a fire uh, is considered work. Uh, and so on Saturday, the breakfast spread at the, uh, at the Jewish hotel we stayed at was mostly just fruit and yogurt and things like that. So to this day, right, no work on the Sabbath. And so the, the, the synagogue ruler in verse 14 says, listen, come and be healed. But Jesus says, listen, actually, let's not use the word heal. Because in verse 15, Jesus goes back to this idea of freedom. He's, and he uses a word that's really close to freedom or free, which is untie. In verse 15, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath free, 
or untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give water. Then this woman, a daughter Abraham, whom Satan has bound, that word is enslaved, who who Satan has enslaved for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. So what is Jesus doing? As he's reframing this discussion, and he's saying, listen, this is not about healing. This is about freedom. And that's something I want to talk about this morning is the difference, I think, between healing and the difference between freedom. Um, Harriet Tubman said that slavery is the closest thing to hell. Uh, and when we think about slavery and what it is, not just in a American history, which obviously is race-based and really only began in the 1600s, but the history of all mankind, the history of enslaved people back to this time, what it would mean to be enslaved, Obviously, any sort of enslavement is the next thing to hell. And that's what Jesus, that's the language Jesus is using here. Now, the woman is not a sinner. I don't think she is. It doesn't say that she was like enslaved to sin. Um, she simply had a, she was enslaved to what, what the what Jesus calls a disabling spirit, uh, which means that, of course, back then, a lot of, a lot of times, all, all kinds of sin or physical infirmity or emotional uh, were attributed to usually some kind of spirit that was under the power of Satan. And there's a couple of things that I think Jesus wants us to know from this passage. And he wants us to know, one, that evil is real out there and that Satan is real. And I think sometimes I can forget who the real enemy is. When I go about my day-to-day life, it's easy to make uh, other people the enemy. It's easy to make something that went wrong somebody else's fault, this group of people or, or this person that, that messed up. And my, my struggle, you know, Jenny and I kind of joke about it uh, sometimes. It's why she's great for me in our marriage is that when something bad happens, she's usually like, ah, oh, she owns it. She's like, it was me, you know, uh, not Drew, but, she, you know, she says, oh, it was Jenny. It was me. I blew it. And whenever, it's, whenever something bad happens, I usually go, yeah, it was their fault. <laughs> they blew it, right? It can't, it can't be me. It can't be my fault. How dare you make a suggestion that it could be me? Um, but I think when we, and so it's easy for me to look at people and to kind of say that that's, that's their fault. And that's what the synagogue ruler does here, doesn't he? He says, listen, you want to do your little healing thing? Do it some other day. Isn't that an incredible response from a church leader? Can you imagine somebody like getting helped at church and me being like, hey, if you're going to help someone, do it some other day. <laughs> like, Wait, what? Like, isn't this church? Like, isn't that supposed to happen like right now and like right here? Um, but this is the, the synagogue ruler's response. And it's a, it's a really hard-hearted, kind of calloused, petty, angry response. But we have to remember who the real enemy is. And in, a, in a, the past 12 months of our, of our nation and what we've experienced, it's been easy to villainize people. And I think when you're outside, when you don't have a spiritual mindset, I think you look for an enemy right? It's, it's this people or that people or this leader or that leader. But it's easy to forget who's behind the scenes. It's easy to forget who's pulling the, who's the puppeteer, who's, who's working behind the scenes. And in a situation with a bent over woman, a, a hump, humpback woman, hunchback woman, it would be easy to say, oh, that's just a sickness. But Jesus says, no, there's something evil that's affecting her. The other thing, when we refocus on the spiritual world and what's going on around us, is that I think we're able to appreciate how bad it really is. 
I think we have kind of this tendency to, we can kind of undervalue uh, sin. Kind of say, well, mm, you know, it happens all the time, right? I'm a minister and I talk to people about their sin quite often. And I do it as well, by the way, when I'm in a relationship where I know I should say something or confess something, but I sort of, you know, phrase it in a way that's, you know, I messed up, I blew it, or, or even just really vague, use really vague general language, um, just kind of, and it kind of mitigate it. Say, it's not, it's not so bad. It's not so bad. Or other people do it, or I think a lot of that is us just kind of, eh. But, but Jesus is able to help see how bad the situation really is. And that does something else. When we see the spiritual world, you know what it actually does? The power of seeing the spiritual world and the spiritual warfare that goes on around us and a good image of that, by the way, is 2 Kings, um, I believe it's 11. I'll have to check on that. But uh, when um, Elisha uh, is dying, remember what he says when Elisha is dying? He goes, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And, and, and everyone's kind of like, wait, that came out of nowhere. What's he talking about? Well, it's, it's as Elisha's dying, he can see the spiritual battle. And he's like, my father, my father, I see the chariots. I see the, I see the enemy. I see the, the, the evil spirits. I see this world that is going on all around us. And in fact, an entire reading of the New Testament is what's called apocalyptic reading because apocalypse means an unveiling, seeing what's actually going on. When John writes Revelation, it's actually called the apocalypse of John for a reason. When John writes Revelation, it's actually like, I'm seeing what's happening. I'm seeing what's going on up there. I'm seeing the lamb fall. I'm seeing the, 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 the warfare. I saw Moses fight, you know, or, or sorry, Michael the archangel fight over Moses' body, right? With, with Satan, I saw all this crazy stuff happening. When you, when you are able to see the spiritual war, it helps you understand the depth of evil, but you don't actually look down on people for struggling. See the difference? When someone is, 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 makes a mistake or they sin, it's easy to go, oh man, they're the enemy. They've hurt me. How dare they? But when you see Satan, you go, actually, you see them as somebody who's enslaved, somebody who is a puppet, somebody who needs help. And so now it actually helps us to think, how can I, how can I help that person instead of how can I stay away from them or how can I kind of distance myself from them and they're evil? And so, uh, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's there in Second Kings 2. Um, and I think Elisha actually mentions it again later, but maybe I'm mis- misremembering. But, but the, the, viewing, viewing this spiritual battle helps us actually be able to remember what we're here for. Now, this is cool. This passage, Jesus is in a synagogue. When's the last time Jesus is in a synagogue in Luke? Oh, baby, the time they tried to kill him in Luke 4, 18, when he says, I've come to do what? To free the imprisoned, to free the slaves, right? Talking about people that are enslaved to to evil, to to Satan. Uh, And they try to kill him. Right? They try to push him off the cliff, remember? And he walks through the crowd. So Jesus actually goes back to the synagogue, which is pretty impressive in terms of like courage. Like, let me go back to the place they tried to kill me. Now it's probably not the same synagogue, but still he goes back and here he, here he sees a woman who needs help. And what's he gonna do? The exact thing he said he was gonna do. Now, you know, I don't know if a lot of you were able to watch Fred Gray uh, at Let Justice Roll Friday, but Fred Gray is an incredible man in a lot of ways because he said, for the last 70 years, my goodness, the guy's in his early 90s. I was so amazed by his, you know, his power of, of, of speech in the early 90s, or in his 90s. But to be able to say, my one goal for the last 70 years is to destroy segregation everywhere I see it. No matter what, that's my one, his whole life is a one-point sermon. You know, it's one thing. 
You know, and for Jesus, it's the same way to free those that are enslaved. Remember in John 8, sorry to give you Bible whiplash here, but uh, John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus says to those, you know, who obey my teaching, hold fast, hold fast to my teaching and you'll know the truth. And that truth will set you, wait for it, free. Now, now what do the people say? They go, we're not slaves. Jesus, you know, um, which actually shows a pretty poor history of your own people because the Jews have been slaves actually quite often. But um, we're not slaves. Jesus goes, I'm not talking about that, buddy. I'm talking about spiritual slavery. You know, Peter says in 2 Peter that a person is enslaved to whatever has mastered them. Bottom line is if you can't stop, you're enslaved to that thing. If you've tried to stop, but you can't, you are enslaved to that thing. Uh, And I believe all of us are enslaved in some way. But the good news is, is that we're not permanently enslaved. And I'll get to that in just one second. The other thing I want to keep in mind is that for us to be alarmed, and I, reading this, I was alarmed at the behavior of the synagogue ruler. Um, and I thought, how can this guy do this? How can this guy see, see a woman? He's probably seen this woman for years. Jesus might be seeing her for the first time. The synagogue ruler, is, he, he's in charge of the synagogue. She's been She's been having, she's had a hunchback for 18 years. How long has he seen her, the ruler? He sees her get healed and his first response is, hey, do that sometime else. It's like, uh, do you not, how can you be so calloused? How can you be so hardened of heart? Do you not see what just happened? And, And obviously there's more there. And I think what's beautiful about what's happening here is that when we do the will of God, our hearts get exposed. Sometimes, and I think in the last 12 months we've seen this, we try to expose our hearts for the sake of exposing our hearts. What do I mean by that? Is we're not really in, we're not, we're not doing as much for God as we used to because of the pandemic. Maybe you, maybe you are, but I think most people, probably not as much. And so you just kind of try to go into your heart and figure out what's going on in there. And I, I know I'm a Christian, so I should probably like have a quiet time or journal or something. So I try to find something in there that's, that, that I can kind of deal with. But what's beautiful about the mission of God is that when we actually are engaged in the mission to liberate others, our hearts get exposed along the way. Um, and when you just try to find out what's going on in your heart for finding out what's going in your heart's sake, oftentimes you just get in a rabbit hole and you're confused and you're stressed. And you don't really understand because to be a Christian to, is to be in a mission, to have a goal, to have a purpose. And, and when you do that thing, hearts are exposed along the way. And so when Jesus is doing, and I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what I mean, is that when Jesus is doing his mission of liberating, uh, the guy's heart is exposed. Now, Jesus, Jesus zings him. I fall asleep at night dreaming about zings like this, you know, um, but you don't really pick it up as much in the English. Um, I mentioned it a little bit, but the word free is the same as to untie. So uh, when, Jesus, when the guy says, Jesus says, hey, woman, you are set free. And the man says, hey, uh, you know, heal sometime else. This is the Sabbath. And Jesus goes, um, you untie your oxen on Sabbath because you want to use them to make money. You want to use them to conduct business. You're mad at me for untying somebody who was a slave to Satan for 18 years 
And not just anyone, but a daughter of Abraham, a Jewish woman, part of your family, who has been part of your synagogue for 18 years. And you want to talk to me about an appropriate time for untying somebody, for freeing somebody? Who's at, who has a better motive, you or me? And he's like, man, Jesus got that guy. He, he, he snapped at him, you know, he, he zinged him. I was trying to think of like a modern day equivalent, which isn't nearly as good. But I thought of this, like say at work, somebody at work is like, maybe they want help and they, and they, wanna, they want spiritual help. And so they talk to you about it. So you invite them to church and your boss comes by and says, hey, that is not the time for that kind of talk. If you're gonna talk about that, talk about that sometime else. And then maybe you say, if you're mad at me for trying to untie uh, and liberate somebody here who needs and wants spiritual liberation, but you come into work all the time trying to liberate our wallets with your daughter's Girl Scout cookies, I'm not so sure who has a better motive here. You winning the Girl Scout cookie sales competition or, or giving somebody spiritual liberation. And so there, Jesus has this incredible ability. Now I do love car- caramel delights. Uh, and thin mints myself. But I think Jesus is trying to explain, like, listen, don't be a hypocrite. Like, are you kidding? You're going to stop me from helping somebody who has been hunchback for 18 years? Don't do that. Don't talk to me like that. And don't even bring that around here. I mean, I love Jesus's courage. I love Jesus's ability to stand his ground and confidence and to protect. It's not to protect himself. He's protecting the woman. He's saying, don't, don't, don't go near that lady. Come on, man. She's been in your backyard for 20 years. Don't talk to me like that. But there's something powerful, I think, in, in, in what Jesus does. And, and I, think, I think we can be, now you're gonna get mad at me now. I think we can be like the synagogue ruler. <laughs> I think we can be so familiar with evil we can, be so, we can become complacent with sin in our life. We can become so complacent with the evil we see in our world that we just we accept it. It becomes easier and easier to just do nothing. And then maybe someone comes along and tries to help and we go, hey, that's not gonna work or hey, that's unwise or hey, that's not, it's not and, and we, we just become petty and religious and self-focused and calloused of heart and, I just, this passage is such a a salve for our wounds and for our hearts this morning to just soften them. If you notice, the word joy is mentioned four times in this passage. The woman expresses joy and the people express joy and the synagogue ruler is petty and joyless and angry. (laughs) So a a good indicator of like, hey, how am I doing this morning? How's your joy, right? How's your joy? Because when freedom is involved, there's gotta be joy. Uh, if we're not experiencing freedom, uh, then we're probably not going to have joy. If we're not going to have joy, then it probably means that we're missing maybe what it is that Jesus is doing. And I want to challenge us with this, with, with us, with this, I want to challenge us, us with this, this morning um, is to look at and reexamine what is our mission. You know, the world is about to open up again. And I can't tell you when, I'm not, I'm not that kind of prophet. Uh, but, but when it, when it does, I wonder if we'll be ready uh, to, to bring liberation to the, the, the millions enslaved in our world. And uh, things that are a lot worse, by the way, than a crooked back. Um, will we be ready? Um, will we be ready to do what our mission calls us to do? You know, Harriet Tubman, I mentioned a quote from her earlier in the sermon, was a phenomenal woman. And, and 
when she tasted freedom for the first time as she left her Maryland uh, bondage and went to Pennsylvania um, with the help of some Quakers. Um, by the way, she, she said the only people you can trust more than black people are Quakers, which is a great quote, by the way. Um, but anyway, so she, she goes up to, to Pennsylvania with the, with the hope of freedom. She tastes freedom. You know the first thing she does when she tastes freedom? She says, I got to go back. They said, why? She goes, I got to get my family. She goes back, Underground Railroad, it brings her family. But she doesn't stop there. You know what she does next? They said, that's enough. You're free. You have your freedom. Stop. She goes, no. Got to get my relatives. They're next. She brings them back. And then surely the family reunion is like, that's enough. That's enough. She goes, no. There are so many more in bondage. I got to help. I got to go back. Got to go back. Uh, she's got great quotes, by the way. One of them, she said, like any good train conductor, I never lost a passenger. <laughs> what an awesome quote like that. She never lost somebody that she was helping to bring to freedom. But perhaps my favorite thing about, uh, about Harriet Tubman is that she kept going back and that she knew that once she tasted freedom, she knew that she, she had to bring that freedom to as many others as possible. That her goal as a liberated person was to liberate others. Pretty simple, pretty simple pretty easy to do uh, in terms of like just staying focused on it. Um, now, when you asked how she did it, she said, it wasn't me. In fact, let me directly quote her here. She said, it wasn't me that did it. Um, she said, it was the Lord. I always told him, I trust you. I don't know where to go or what to do, but I do expect you to lead me. And he always did. Um, and it's a beautiful thing. Even Harriet Tubman's like, I had to liberate people. I had to. Even in the, in the Civil War, she becomes the first woman to lead a raid uh, on, on an enemy encampment that frees 700 enslaved people. Like, one person, what she does is incredible simply because she tasted freedom and she said, I, I got to bring this to as many as possible. And then she stopped. No, she didn't. After that was over, she fought for the women's right to vote. And then she, she, just, she kept, she's like, who, who, who else needs help? Who else needs help? I'm ready to help because I've tasted freedom. And the reality is, is that for many of us this morning, we've tasted freedom. We've tasted freedom. The question is, what will we do with it? When Jesus died for us and we were baptized and we repented and we become part of his family, we've tasted freedom. What will we do with it? Will we sit in Pennsylvania with the Quakers and just try to figure out how I can use my freedom? Or will we think about how I can go back? How can I go back to my where I was and to, to bring them. Uh, who, who else is in bondage? And who, who, else can use, who else can use me? Um, and, and in the same way, uh, Jesus inspires us to not give up on the mission to free enslaved people. And our hearts may be calloused like the synagogue ruler. Our hearts may be overwhelmed. Our hearts may be exhausted. Perhaps the synagogue ruler was just tired. Perhaps he tried to help her for 18 years and couldn't. Perhaps you just feel fatigued or, or overwhelmed or, or worried. But, but remember Harriet Tubman's words. Remember the words of, it wasn't me. I didn't know what to do or where to go, but I trusted the Lord and he always showed me what to do. Um, and it would be just a few, perhaps months later from this very uh, Luke 13, uh, that, that Jesus's enemies are afraid again to do work on the Sabbath. So much so that they hurry a, a rushed trial uh, in the Sanhedrin to put a man to death just hours before sunset on a Friday afternoon so that they wouldn't have to do work on the Sabbath. Um, and it would be that the great evil of killing our Lord. Um, and you can almost, and you, even Jesus on the cross, right? He's still helping those that are enslaved. Forgive them. They know not, know not what they do. 
the, 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 the man on his left, the man on his right. I'll see you in paradise. Jesus is still liberating at his death, even when those around him were trying to be petty, religious, and calloused. And guess what? That's us. That's us. And praise God that we have a God who is patient with us, a God who is kind. And maybe Jesus zings you. I hope that Jesus zings you every now and again. It's kind of like, what are you doing, Drew? How, you hypocrite. Come on, man. Like, you, even, even in a rebuke of Jesus, you feel the love of, that's not what we're here to do. We have a greater purpose and a greater mission. And so I pray that we all can experience a new birth of freedom and bring that to others as well who live their lives in any kind of emotional, spiritual, or physical bondage that we can bring liberation to those who actually, uh, not actually, but who, who truly uh, need it. So we're going to go ahead and pray and we'll take the bread and we'll take the juice. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Will Portillo. And if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, visit us online at blueridge.church or connect with us on Facebook at Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Visit us on YouTube and subscribe for weekly sermons, encouraging news, and short devotionals. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.